the enemy has decided to put his footprints all over the society. He set up camp here. So what's our job? It's to get rid of him. Mountains energized mountaineers like Sir Graham Dingle and Sir Edmund Hillary. They were drawn to them. They saw them as conquests. Formable, yes, but not impossible. They knew they could be defeated. And this is where I want us to say, okay, that's a mountain. It can be defeated. The idea is that it is not impossible to us. So we should have the same attitude towards mountains, that they can be conquered, and they can be defeated, and they can be made flat. Amen? 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 Now we're getting there. They can be defeated. All right? Jesus said, Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Okay, there's a starting point. And as John the Baptist said as he quoted Isaiah, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Who will see God's salvation? All people. We've got to see that for our community. We've got to see that if the hand of God comes upon our community, then people will get saved. Do you ever go home sad? Does anybody ever go home from church sad because they did not see any salvations at the altar here? I doubt anybody does, but we should do. You know, it should be disappointing to us if we're not seeing salvations all the time. We should be working towards that. But there's a stronghold. There's an enemy that is trying to keep people from getting saved. We can come and have a great time at church. We can fellowship and enjoy one another's company. Great worship, maybe a great message from time to time. But, you know, but go home. Just, who cares? We're just back out and doing our life again. I think we've got a hunger for seeing this community saved. It says in uh, Ephesians, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We're probably quite familiar with this verse, but more because of our own struggles. It says, our, you know, it says in that verse, if we just put that back up, the Ephesians 6, <coughs> for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. You know, we know that verse because we see our struggles, but that our also means the church. Our struggle, the church's struggle. The devil will keep us, you know, focused on ourselves all day, every day, every week. If he can keep us focused on ourselves and our own problems and what's going on in our life, we will never actually step into the things that we need to step into. If we look at this next verse, this is the issue. 
This is why the devil wants to keep you busy. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. The enemy doesn't want us coming together as a church. He doesn't want us to be a group of believers that are going to have a go at him. He was happy for you to have a go at him at home about your issues and about your problems. He's quite content with that. One-on-one, you know, he give you a bit of biff and you give him a bit of biff back, you know. Just keep that going. And then so that we don't actually put 10,000 to flight. So our role as a church is to put to flight the enemy and take back what has been stolen, what, through prayer, and to undergird, so not only take back what's stolen, but to undergird the ministries that our people are undertaking and about to undertake. So as a church, we need to be supporting what, what some of you are doing in the community and what some of you want to be doing in the community. So as a church, we need to come together and undergird that. In other words, you know, build pillars so that you, your ministry can succeed. But if we just focus on ourselves, we can't do that. So I want to show you a video, um, and you'll get, you get the gist. The Outer Hebrides seem an improbable place for God to visit, yet the heavens have been rent over this ancient land with remarkable regularity. These visitations have been called revivals, but they are unlike anything most of us have ever experienced. A revival is not only uh, biblical, but uh, believe in revival because it is historical. It started off in 1939. A few of them gathered together for a prayer meeting. Before they knew where they were, the house was packed. They were coming from all over the island, directed by the Lord. I realized that something very significant had happened the previous night. There was something quite strange, almost eerie, in the atmosphere in the house. And from the moment one came into the crowded meetings, one was aware of an atmosphere which I couldn't describe and I couldn't explain. We felt this power, and uh, afterwards, even the dishes were clattering. It was as if uh, the Lord came down with a mighty wind. The, the house shook with the power of prayer and the presence of the Lord. Walking on the main road, they would be crying to God to have mercy on them. They were lying down on the road for God to have mercy on them. It was as if there was a canopy of an awareness of God over the whole island. You couldn't be indifferent to what was happening. The drinking houses of the village, they gradually disappeared one by one. People were being saved every night. There was a complete transformation. And the people in the world knew it. God had come, that was the answer. Sadly, many societies around the world remained desperately ill their deep spiritual and social wounds, crying out for the salve of God's presence. 
Canada's vast Arctic territories have been inching toward death for most of the 20th century. The land is so cold that even trees refuse to grow. But it's the inner barrenness that kills. Uh, it was awful. It was terrible. Alcohol everywhere. Oh, we had violence, wife abuse, violence against other people, breaking, sexual abuse. I was drinking alcohol myself very much. I would turn to sniffing solvents, gas, dope, drinking. We had an enormous epidemic of suicide of youth. Then came the realization that a lot of our children were experiencing sexual abuse. Every single family was touched. It was total darkness at the time. Far to the south, the nation of Uganda has likewise spent several decades in a deep spiritual coma. Racked with demonic fevers, this one-time pearl of Africa became Idi Amin's personal house of horrors. I think Uganda has been a country of pain. If history teaches us anything, it is that God's heart is as big as the sea, his reach extending with grace and precision to the very ends of the earth. The healing process began. It's amazing, amazing to see the, the transformation from where the nation was found to where it is today. People are getting saved. People are being healed. We have seen the AIDS virus healed, and the doctors go, wow, I can't explain this, but there must be a God up there somewhere. Every day in Uganda, there is a new church starting up or a ministry starting up. The gospel has introduced new changes, even in the structure of the government. Now we have a new ministry called the Ministry of Ethics and Integrity. Covenanting our nation, Uganda, to the purposes of God and to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is Nakivubo Stadium. We've been having uh, an overnight prayer meeting. Uh, it's uh, much prayer, but also a celebration. When they see what the country is today, it really is a miracle. It wouldn't have been possible if it hadn't been for the Lord. I have seen this community just transformed by the power of God. Some many marriages were healed, many families were healed. God is saving these people we never thought could be changed. We've had a lot of young people themselves turning to Jesus for the answers that they never found in drugs or whatever else they were into. Our children in the school is about 50. All of them are saved. All of them are born again. Many of the mayors are Christians. They were starting to get more animals than ever before. Fish in the lakes were starting to grow. Even the land is starting to produce little plants. We are so blessed. Suicide, that's completely gone on the downtrend. We pray for our community. We broke the curse in our community. Yeah, it changed. It completely changed. You can visit every community and you, they can tell you the same story. In Kanyatsujuak, in Kujuak, Pearl Harbor, Clyde River, Arctic Bay. We have an all-forgiving and almighty God. 
and families have been healing over these past six, seven years now, and it's, it's been wonderful. To those who would ask, why did God move so powerfully in these particular regions? The answer is simple. He was invited. The people were praying all the time for this revival. They would be praying in the barns. Their faces would be tear-stained. They're supposed to pray for a revival. There's prayer. There's tears. Tears of repentance. We must pray earnestly. And it's the kind of desire that deeply yearns to the, to the Lord. The moments of refreshing from the Holy Spirit that we are experiencing today did not come easy. And these prayers were traveling. They were painful praying. But they come to us, come visit us. ask yourself, who is expecting that to happen? And who's praying for it to happen? And who wants it to happen? That's the difficulty. And I think that's what God is calling us to do as a church. Do we want to see Kaitaia, like Canada, province after province, you know, let's say Kaitaia, Hirokino, um, you know, Waipapakauri, Doubtless Bay, whatever. We just go through and see the hand of God on these areas. Does anybody in the room want to see that? Who doesn't want to see it? Maybe I'll see more hands. Who, would, who wants to see that? Who would like to see it in their lifetime? Well, we as the church have got a responsibility. And that's the hard thing. The second mountain is moving God's people against the first mountain. Can that mountain be moved? Can I, can you be moved to move against the first mountain? It doesn't need flattening or throwing into the sea. It just needs to move. Are you interested in your homeland, your community? Do you care whether your community is in great trouble, a disgrace, walls falling apart, gates in ruins? Does that ring a bell? Nehemiah cared. And yet Nehemiah, we know, we think of Nehemiah as a leader, all right? But he was no different from you and me. He was a slave, a Jewish slave. He was a cupbearer in the king's service. And so in other words, an ordinary man going about his ordinary business, just like you and me. But some visitors arrived, and he, was, and he asked them, because he was interested, about his homeland. And the verse will come up there. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was at the citadel of Susa, one of my brothers came from Judah 
with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, I have to admit to you that when I pray, I don't weep. Sometimes I cry up here when the hand of the Lord is upon me, or different times. But I just think to myself, when I pray, it's a bit like business. You know, you go in to buy something, you just say to the person, look, I need those nuts and bolts, can you get that for me in here? And when I talk to God, I quite often do, God, I need this, and I'd like you to heal this person and that. It's business, but there's an inner cry in us that I think we need to engage sometimes to say, God, what's on your heart? This community must be on your heart. You died for it. So I know myself, I need to connect in some way with the community through my heart when I pray. It bothered Nehemiah so much, he felt he needed to do something. And if we don't care, we will never take on the devil. And of course, you hear that saying, look, if if I don't bother him, he's not going to bother me. Well, that's not true when it comes to the devil. You know, just think of a sacrifice that somebody made. You know, we could say that most of the problems out there in society aren't our fault. They've got nothing to do with us. Selfish people have done selfish things, or people with the wrong motives have done that or this. We could say, why do we, we should we sacrifice ourselves and our time to do something about somebody else's problem? But it makes me think about somebody else who made a sacrifice for us. Anybody know who that was? Jesus actually died on the cross for stuff that we had done that wasn't his fault. So really, that's our example. That if he was prepared to die on the cross for us, surely then we could think about, you know, sacrificing some part of our lives for other people. In 2 Chronicles, God says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. All right, so there's our challenge. God is saying to you, if you will do this, I will promise you that I will heal your land. So who is God talking about here? Pastor, maybe the pastor. Maybe the pastor should be praying and humble himself, and then God will heal the land. Or maybe we'll just throw in a couple of people that have got nothing else to do and that can go to the prayer meeting as well, and two or three people can humble themselves. I don't think he's doing that. He's talking to us about a body of people. When we, as the church, humble ourselves, he will heal our land. You know, I remember that, that a little story, but when I became a pastor, they didn't actually employ me because I could pray well. In fact, I don't even know if they knew how I could pray. And I remember that 
Uh, when Pastor Tark, when we were first pastor there, and they'd get all the pastors on Tuesday morning in his office, and we'd have a prayer meeting. So he's in, at his desk there, and the pastors would all line up around there, and he'd have a whiteboard up, and he'd say, okay, we're going to pray for this. Write it up there. And these pastors have been pastors for ages, you know, and they're praying all these great prayers. And I'd, I'm thinking to myself, well, what am I going to pray? Okay, I'm going to pray that. And then another pastor would pray it, and then I'll pray that, and then somebody else would pray it. By the time it got to me, I didn't know what to pray, you know. I just made a, a wally of myself. So I thought, I'm going to be cunning. I'm going to get into his office early, and I'm going to stand at the front of the line, and I'm going to get first choice. <laughs> it might not have been good, but I would get in there and he'd put something up and he could go around the room and I would pray my, but then I didn't worry what the others prayed. <laughs> it was scary. And then, they, because you're a pastor, they want you to go up in front of, you know, 150 people on the Thursday prayer meeting and finish off and pray. And sometimes I'd go back to my seat and go, oh, that was terrible. That was shocking, Paul, you know. And it wasn't, and then hour of power, I mean, I had some frightening experiences, hour of power, there's 700 people in the auditorium, you know, everybody's praying, and I'm standing and praying, I've, my mind was somewhere, totally out somewhere else, and then Pastor Charles just walks up to me with the mic, and I go, I don't even know what we're praying for, and I'm supposed to go up on the stage and finish off, I had to humble myself and say, And then he told me. <laughs> it was scary, you know. You know, there's an interesting verse in First Kings. It comes just after Elijah had put to death the 400 priests. You remember that? You know, the, there was a drought in the land, and um, he had challenged the priests to see fire come down on their altar, and, uh, you know, he teased them about that, and nothing happened. And then he said, okay, now throw water on mine. And then God came down, you know, and then he put to slaughter. Uh, he took the priests down into the valley, and they were put to death. But there's an interesting verse just after all that, and in 1 Kings, and it says, Elijah, Elijah said to Ahab, that was the king, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. The king, who had been disobedient, and it was his, it was, the, it was their behavior that caused the drought to come in the first place, but the prophet said in belief that revival is coming. And we've heard that revival is coming. You go off and eat and drink, but he went to pray. So I sort of ask ourselves, which one are you, or which one would you rather be? Like the king, eating and drinking, carrying on as normal? Yeah, I've heard revival's coming. Or would you like, rather be like Elijah, in prayer, crying out for rain, crying out for transforming rain? Ask yourself, which would you rather be? You know, getting the church into prayer meetings reminds me of this story, and please excuse my artistic license, but we're going to read from Luke. A certain pastor was preparing a prayer meeting and invited his whole congregation. At the time of the prayer meeting, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. 
But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought a new 4 by 4 and I'm on my way to try it out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I got married, so I can't come. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Every week we talk about the prayer meeting. Every week you'll have an excuse or a reason why you can't be there. All right? Jesus had the same problem. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you keep watch with me just for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's it. The spirit is willing. Every one of your spirit is saying, yes, I'd love to be in that prayer meeting, but the flesh won't let you do it. Genuine reasons or lame excuses, the list is endless, but at the end of the day, the mountain is still in the community, and the mountain is not getting any smaller, and I'm calling the church to join me to make a difference against violence in the home, youth suicide, (laughs) now I'm going to cry, unemployment, alcohol and drug abuse, depression, crime, I'm calling the church to pray, to break the curses over this region. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Amen? That's our role. That is our role. Restoring a broken city takes time. Not one week, not two weeks. It's going to take many weeks to restore the city. Together, collectively, we can change the community, but I need you, every one of you. It's not a matter of age. It's not a matter of experience. It's a matter of caring for the lost, the oppressed, the trapped, the downtrodden, the very people Christ came to earth to set free. It's our role. It is our calling. Matthew, it says, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Never mind if you can't pray. Come and agree with those that can. When I went to Japan, I couldn't speak Japanese. So buying anything or taking a taxi, and I actually went into a big police station to swap some police badges, and then they didn't know what swap meant. That was to stump them. They actually couldn't find that in their dictionary. We worked it out, actually, they had exchange. Once they knew what I wanted, it was a lot easier. But until I let them know what I wanted, they couldn't help me, whether the taxi driver or a shop or anything. I had to make what I wanted clear. And it's a bit like prayer. It's the same. We don't need to learn a new language. We just need to communicate our heartfelt desires. Right? That's what we do in prayer. We just tell God as it is. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. 
They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. He says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then it says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So God teaches us how to pray. We pick up a language and we think it's spiritual, but it's not. And I don't want to criticize anybody here because I found that I was doing it myself and it was pointed out to me. But we put God or the Lord or Father in half, many times in the same sentence. God's just basically saying, acknowledge me and then ask for what you want. So there are things. So that's what we want to do as a group. We want to learn to pray together. And we want to seek God for what he's telling us to do. We want to seek his heart. It says in Romans, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. All right? So if you can't pray, it doesn't matter. Come and just groan. You'll look spiritual. Come into the prayer meeting and moan, you know? Get in a corner and just groan and moan. And we'll think, man, that's a spiritual person. All right? If you're having a heart attack, we won't know. But come and groan and moan in the meeting. You'll encourage me. So one hour on Thursday. One hour, 5.30 to 6.30. Commit to one hour. Once maybe a month. Maybe twice a month, maybe four times a month, but commit as a church to come and pray and see this community changed. We've got to humble ourselves, all right? And as a group of believers, I believe that as a group, we will learn how to take ground. I mean, learn how to take ground. We will learn how to stand in the gap for our young people, the vulnerable, the hurting, and the lost. We'll learn how to take back what the enemy has stolen, and we'll learn how to take dominion, what God has told us to do, and we'll learn to see the hand of God work through our prayers. That's what I'm wanting to see, breakthrough through our prayers. Nehemiah needed the people. He couldn't rebuild the the Jerusalem wall on his own, and Scripture actually records the names of 40 different families. I didn't realize there were so many, but it actually lists all the families. And there were women in there. There are obviously men. There are children in there. There are different occupations in there if you actually go through it and have a look. He needed the community to help rebuild that wall. As it says in Nehemiah, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. I believe, and I strongly believe, God is calling us as a church to pray like Nehemiah said. I strongly believe the gracious hand of the Lord will be upon us and heal our land. I believe at this time God is calling us as a church to prayer for this area. And I don't want to miss it. 
I don't just want to keep going what we're normally doing. You know, a couple of people in the prayer meeting. Let's do, okay, the church has a prayer meeting, right? We do Sunday services, but we're not seeing people here. We're not seeing people lining up and saying, I need salvation. We're not seeing bars closing. As we, you know what I mean? We're not seeing a drop in suicide, but we can, and I believe we can do it together. Anybody agree with me? Okay. So nominate somebody that should be in the prayer meeting. Look around the room and say, who do you think should be in there? Frank says me. I'm already in there, Frank. I've seen you out. I've seen you outside. <laughs> are you going to nominate somebody else or are you going to nominate yourself? All right? Climbing a mountain and conquering a mountain is not done in one day. Seeing this community change is not going to happen in one day. But I believe as we come together as a group, we will see change. All right? And I know other churches are probably praying. There are probably many prayer meetings going on. But we as a church here have been called to pray. 5.30 to 6.30, Thursdays in the conference room. I'd like to give some of you an out, though. I'd like to give a group of people an out to not to be there. All right? <laughs> if your name is in the obituary column in the newspaper that week, then I'm giving you an excuse not to be there. <laughs> so before you come, have a look. See if your name's there. If it's not there, enter the prayer meeting, okay? Thursday. Okay, I get the musicians to come up because we're going to pray now. I think this is good. There's a group of people here that have got a heart for this community. Not only that, there's a group of people here that have got a heart for prayer. But it's something we can learn. I've had to learn it. I've had to learn it. All right? There are people in here that want to be doing stuff in the community. There are people in this room that are doing stuff in the community, and I want to pray for them. And I think we should all pray for them. And I want to see souls lining up here to get saved. We open our door. We preach the Word of God. We lift Jesus high, and He says, I'll draw all men unto me. Go home disappointed if you don't see anybody here and say, what can I do about it? We've got to start the process next week and see somebody here. And then next week, and hopefully we see somebody here, all right, giving their heart to Jesus. Let's stand. Let's pray. Cry out to the Lord for the salvation of this community. Groan and moan. Cry out for the salvation. Cry out for souls your family, your neighbours, the drunks of this community, the young people that need salvation, they need hope, cry out for them.
One of me, and I can't hear any of you. Cry out for the church. Cry out. So, Lord, we just put the devil on notice that we are coming after you in the name of Jesus. We have had enough of you in this community. We are taking back what you have stolen from us. We are putting you on notice. We are coming after you. Your mountain will be made low. You will not prevail. And Lord, we ask that your hand to touch our young people. We ask, dear Lord, that you move in this community and touch our young ones, Lord. We come against depression. We come against violence. We come against addictions in the name of Jesus. Lord, we know, as it says in Revelation, that the bowls are filled by the prayers of the saints. And when those bowls are filled, they are tipped out. And as our prayers go up to you, Lord, as we collectively pray to you, Lord, that your bowl and your mercy will be poured out into this region of the north. We have heard, Lord, that the rains are coming, but we want to be like Elijah and humble ourselves and pray. work in us, Lord. Help us to see and to know what's on your heart. And help us to cry out to you in our own closet, but also together as a church. Lord, I don't know you, your heart, fully, but I want to know your heart. And when you look down and see us here worshipping you, Whatever the number is, 120, 130 people. And you look into our prayer meeting and see five. I often wonder what you think. Challenge us, Lord, so we know your heart. And help us to play our part in seeing this community changed forever. Amen.
Amen. Amen, church. Amen. You have authority. You have been given the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And the shield of faith, in other words, believing in the Word of God, extinguishes all the fiery darts of the enemy. Put on the full armor of God. I want to speak to anybody that has never asked Jesus Christ into their heart. Or people who have gone away, a long way from the Lord. He's never gone a long way from you. But you'd like to invite Jesus into your heart. It's simple. He died on the cross for your sin. He died on the cross so that you could be his son or his daughter. He died on the cross so that you could have fellowship with God. And one day when you die, you will live in heaven with all the believers. His demonstration on the cross demonstrated to us that He loves us. A man without sin. So if you'd like to give your heart to the Lord or renew that with Him, please come forward right now. Come forward and make a difference in your life. Anybody else like to do that this morning? Anybody brave enough to say, yes, I want to ask Jesus Christ into my heart. This is the day of salvation. This is the day of salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? Anybody like to do that this morning? Touch base with the Lord. Ask Him into your heart. Be set free of all addictions. Be set free of your sin. pray together. And as we pray, just think of your loved ones. Think of them standing here. Think who's going to be standing here next week because you've invited them. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, I just ask you to forgive me of all the things I've said, I've thought, and I've done that have not been pleasing to you. I know that you died on the cross for me and my sin. And I ask you to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Let's rejoice, Lord. Let's rejoice, church, with this person who's come back to the Lord. Lord. 
I don't want anybody to feel guilty. Well, maybe I do. But don't, don't come and tell me why you can't be in the prayer meeting. It's between you and God. But do come and those who want to come and say, yes, I'll be there. All right? In the conference room. If it's packed, that's fine. All right? But Sally and I will be there no matter what. Because we believe in this community. Have a great week. Have some kai. Join us and I'll just pray over you. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for these wonderful people that you've called into the house today. I just ask a blessing upon them, Lord. And I just pray, dear Lord, that they will hear your voice, know your calling. Watch over them and keep them safe. In your precious name, amen. Go in peace. Go in peace.